This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we doing? Good. I feel like I haven't asked that in the last few weeks. I don't know. I'm, I'm off my game. My apologies. I'm sorry. How are we? How are you? You good? You okay? We good? All right. Good weekend. Was this weekend a holiday? Last weekend was a holiday, right? Last weekend. Thank you, Eric. Man, I can't keep up with things. I feel like every day I'm like, what day is it? And I have to go backwards and remember what day it is. I think that's because of kids. I think kids do that to you. They just make you forget what day it is. Um, either that or pets. Oh my gosh. Why did anybody tell us that getting a pet was a terrible idea? Awful. Did you? Did you though? I don't know. Let's check the records. Man, terrible idea. Gosh. All right. Mark chapter uh, 14 is where we are going to be. We're also going to hit 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you like, oh, man, I want to know where we're going. I want to get ahead. You want to stick something in there. Uh, mark the page. We're going to hit 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I'll reference uh, Exodus 12 and 13. Um, I won't necessarily read those, but we'll talk about it enough that if you wanted to read along with it um, in Exodus 12 or 13, you could do that as, as well. We're, we're entering the part of the, the story of Jesus that religious or not, if, you, if, you, if you've been a part of a church or not, my guess is you've heard this part of the story, right? Jesus is betrayed by his friend Judas. Jesus is crucified, and he, he's risen from the grave three days later. Um, and, and as we sang in this last song, right, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, right? And so I think when we come into this part of the gospel message, I think there's two challenges that we can come to this with. One could be if you've never been a part of a church, right, if, if this is relatively new to you, or honestly, if you've been around for a long time and just hasn't really sunk in, and we're talking about, we're singing songs about praise the Lamb, that's a little weird, right? Like if this is, your, like imagine this is your first Sunday and, and there's this guy up here, and he's playing his guitar, and he's like, hey, let's praise the Lamb. Like, what are we talking about? This is weird. I'm out. You know, um, it's a little strange, right? There's a lot of singing about blood, okay? Where are we going with this? What's about to happen? So I think, honestly, if we look at it from that lens, it's like, all right, this is strange, why are we talking about a lamb? Why are we talking about blood? What are we doing here, right? Where did you bring me? A friend brought you, and they're like, hey, we're gonna go get lunch afterwards, and you're like, I don't want the lunch. I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't care what the lunch is. We're not doing this, right? So I think that's one challenge, is, is this kind of foreign to us in Austin, 2022? Why are we talking about a lamb and blood and death and yada, 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 right? So that's, that's one side. The other side, I think, is the curse of familiarity. We, we've heard this over and over and over again, and, and it's just become so familiar, right? It's like just a fairy tale, a fable, right? It doesn't, the weight of it, the reality of it doesn't sink in, right? I think at this point in my own life, and, and I was even telling Anna beforehand, right? I just kind of feel like I'm in this rut, where, where the things that I've read since I was, can remember reading or hearing, it, it kind of just becomes a little stale, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Passover, supper, you know, death, resurrection. Yes, I believe all that, but it's not really having this, this impact in me, right? Anyone else ever feel that way? 
Okay, good, I see some nods, I'm not alone. Um, yeah, so it can just, I think we can oftentimes approach this from one of two sides. A, this is weird, I don't know what we're talking about, so we're gonna, we're gonna try to answer that. And then B, yeah, I understand it, but it just doesn't really move me much right now. And, and I think that's also common, and I believe that my prayer, my hope, is that the Spirit of God through His Word will, will just kind of ignite you know, this, this spark inside of us, breathe new life into us. And so um, we're going to start reading in Mark chapter 14, and we're not going, in, in the next few chapters as we wrap up Mark, you know, we're not going to just go straight through because the way the story is put together it kind of jumps back and forth, right? So today we'll talk about the Passover and, and the Lord's Supper, and then we'll talk about the betrayal of Judas, and then, right? But it, it kind of like goes here, and then it hits again here, so we're just going to take each topic um, within it. So we'll, we'll jump around a little bit, but it's just to keep us at, with one subject matter per Sunday rather than like going back and forth across each Sunday. So Mark chapter 14, verse 12 <clears throat> And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, right? This is where we're like, okay, what are we talking about? His disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So let's stop here for a second. First thing when we're reading this, right, it, it, it feels almost like you either have just this random miracle where Jesus knew that there would be a man with a water jar who had a master with an upper room and all this stuff, which is possible, or perhaps this was a, a previous conversation that Jesus would have with someone that on this specific day of sacrificing the Passover lamb, someone would come into town with a water jar and, and would link up with Jesus and his disciples. It, it, it almost feels like this was one of those, like, hey, you go and knock on a door and like, what's the code word? My master says that you'll have a room prepared for us. In the, you know, like it feels very pre-thought out, which is where I tend to think happened here. Jesus is, as we see at the beginning of 14, right? There are people looking to kill him, right? So to come into Jerusalem for the Passover feast is, is dangerous for Jesus. And so my thoughts are, he's not gonna miss the Passover, but he can't just walk into town with all of his people because there's folks that wanna kill him. And so he has to kind of prepare this, like, hey, prepare a place for us. I'm gonna send my boys to link up with your guy. We'll get everything together, and then I'll kind of come in, and we'll have the Passover dinner. That's, that's my interpretation um, as I study this week of what's going on. But, but what, it, what is this feast of unleavened bread and the Passover lamb? Like, what, what are we talking about here? We, we've heard this before, right? We, we're reading this. What, why is it such a big deal that Jesus is like, hey, I'm gonna— I'm going to prepare my guys to link up with this guy so that we could come in kind of under the radar a little bit. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we talking about a lamb again? So this is where, if you go back to Exodus 12 and 13, we see the institution of the Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread. So if you want to turn there, you can, but I'll mostly just tell you what's going on, and you can, you can read it after the fact if you want to. 
So in Exodus 12, Israel is in the 430th year of captivity in Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Frame of reference, anybody know how old the U.S. of A is? Top of your head, let's see. Gosh, that was close, close. Thank you for, for giving it a shot, though. I appreciate that. 244 years. The U.S. is 244 years old, right? So I, I don't know about you, but when I think of like the beginning of the United States, like it feels like ancient, you know? Like, I mean, gosh, they, they wore wigs all the time, those white curly wigs, and you know, like it was just, it was weird, right? There's all these weird things going on. 430 years of captivity. That's a long time. For, for Israel in this day, that's all they knew. Right, that was life. Oh yeah, this is what we're born into. We're slaves. We make bricks for Pharaoh, right? Like we do hard labor. We don't have freedom. But now in Exodus 12 and the few chapters before, God has come in, brought in this dude Moses and said that he is going to deliver Israel from slavery. God has told them, hey, I'm going to bring you into a new life of freedom. Well, how's that gonna happen? He starts to bring these plagues into Egypt to try and soften Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will let Israel go free. Right, Pharaoh, who rules Egypt, has 2 million slaves in the people of Israel. He's not just gonna let them walk out. Can you imagine what that will do to the economy of Egypt? Who's gonna make Pharaoh's bricks? Right, who's gonna do all this hard work? And so God brings in what we know as the 10 plagues to try and soften Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will go, okay, enough, yes, go, and go worship your God. But as we probably know from the story, again and again, Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not, I'm not giving him up. And so God brings it to the 10th plague. And he tells Moses, hey, after this plague, Pharaoh's gonna say go. So what is the 10th plague? The 10th plague is that around midnight, on the 15th day of the month, the angel of God's wrath is going to come through all of Egypt and kill the firstborn. Firstborn of Pharaoh's household, the firstborn of every everyday citizen, of slaves, even of the cattle. That God's angel of wrath is just going to move through all of Egypt and around midnight on the 15th day, the firstborn of every family, of every household, will be struck dead by the wrath of God. Now, the reason God is just in doing this is because God is bringing punishment for sin. God's wrath is directed towards evil and wickedness and sin. And the punishment of sin from Genesis 3 on has been death. And so God's like, hey, I'm just coming to enact justice on sin. And so the wrath of God is coming in to punish sin, to, to wage war against what is evil and what is wicked. And the firstborn of any living thing in all of Egypt will die on the around midnight on the 15th day of the month. But God is rich in mercy and love, and so he provides a way of escape. A, a way in which the firstborn can live and not die. He says, if you trust me, 
you can kill a spotless lamb in place of the firstborn. If you trust me, go and take a spotless lamb. And and when the day of Passover comes, I want you to to kill that lamb and then take the blood of that lamb and, and spread it on the doorposts and the lintel of your house. And so that night when the angel of God's wrath comes to punish sin in all of Egypt, when the angel of God's wrath sees the blood marking that house, the blood of faith in God's word, the angel of God's wrath will pass over that house and everyone in that home can live because the lamb died instead. Right, so God's saying, I'm going to punish sin. The wrath, my wrath against sin is going to come through Egypt and the firstborn of every house will die unless you kill a lamb instead and you put the lamb over your house and when my angel of wrath sees the blood of the lamb, I will let you live because the lamb died instead. This is where the Passover lamb comes into play. And on the next morning, after God's wrath had come through Egypt and killed the firstborn of any who did not trust in God's word, that would have included Israel. If there were any Israelites who did not trust God's word and did not sacrifice the lamb and did not mark their house with the blood of the lamb, God's wrath would have been on them as well. This invitation was given to anyone. So on the next morning, Pharaoh says, get out. And God tells them, hey, eat your breakfast and leave. But don't put leaven in the bread. Leaven is the ingredient that makes bread rise up and become this fluffy, incredible thing that you just want to lather with butter and jam, right? Like, leaven makes the bread puff up into a great, soft bread. I don't know what's called, dough. You take out the leaven, you got a cracker, right? You just have this kind of hard, crunchy, thin layer of thing, but it doesn't take long to make. And and God is saying, hey, after this, you're going to be free to go live a new life. You're going to be free to walk out and go live in freedom. Get going. Don't look back. Don't linger in the past. Don't stay with the life that you had. Get going now. Leave that behind you and go. You don't have time to just kind of be like, ah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to mosey on around here. No, no. Get going. And so they do, they take off. And that's when God, he says, every year, every year to remember what I have done to bring freedom, you sacrifice a lamb. You remember that the Passover lamb died so that you could live. And you eat your bread without leaven because you remember that God has set you free to live a new life, no looking back, no dwelling in the past, no lingering, you're going to live a new life. And so every single year, that's what they do. They would go and they would get a spotless lamb and they would kill it and they would remember God rescued us and we lived because the lamb died. And they would eat unleavened bread and they would remember that God sent us out to live a new life. He sent us out to to exit from our past By faith, we're a new people. And that's what they would do every single year. That's what Jesus is going into town to celebrate, is this Passover feast, this feast of unleavened bread. But this year, 
Passover would be different. This year's Passover, the year of, of Mark 14, this Passover would forever change the way that we think and look at the Passover. This year, you and I can celebrate the Passover, but, but not with the death of a, of a lamb, but because Jesus, called the Lamb of God, would die this year so that we could live. This is why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Because it was by the death of a spotless lamb that Israel got to live, and it is by the death of the spotless Son of God that you and I get to live. Thus, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, just as Charlie read from John chapter 1. It is the Passover lamb that by the blood of Jesus, God will pass over our sins because we're covered by the righteous blood of Jesus. Jesus becomes the new Passover lamb. And he dies once and for all. We don't have to continue to sacrifice and kill a lamb because Jesus died once and for all for the complete removal of any sins, past, present, and future for any person throughout eternity. This is what Jesus brings to the table now. This is what Jesus is going to institute for this first church and then for us today. And so we see then in Mark 14, verse 22. It says, As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see Paul giving instructions to the church in Corinth. Right, that this, this Lord's Supper, as it becomes called, that Jesus began in Mark 14, continues in every church. From that point on, every church, every family of God that follows Jesus practices this Lord's Supper. And we see Paul giving instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right, so we see that Jesus, he, he begins this practice of the Lord's Supper, where, where the Passover celebration no longer centers around a literal lamb that is killed so that they may live. It now centers around the figurative lamb, the person of Jesus Christ, who is killed so that we may live. And the church throughout history and today and for the rest of eternity will celebrate this Passover feast that Jesus died in our place so we can live. So Jesus, when he's giving us this instruction, we see three declarations of truth. And he tells us that when we come to the, to the table, to the Lord's Supper, we come and we take his broken body and his shed blood to remember what Jesus has done to forgive our sins. 
But when we come to the Lord's table, it's not just remembering what Jesus has done, it's also looking forward to what Jesus promises he will do. The Lord's Supper today, just like it was in Exodus 12, is it time for us to remember that the lamb died in our place so that we may live. But the Lord's Supper today is also a time for us to look forward and remember the promises of Jesus that what he said is and it will always be. So we see the first component is the bread. Jesus takes a piece of bread, Mark tells us, and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. So now why is Jesus instructing his disciples? Why is Jesus instructing Paul to the church in Corinth? Why are we today, right here, receiving this instruction to take the broken bread and to eat it in remembrance of, of Jesus? God is a God of holiness. God is a God of love. And because God is holy and because God is loving, God must also be wrathful. Now, I realize we don't oftentimes think of him and it's like, man, hey, why don't you write down journal like all the things you think about God that, you know, what, what do you think of, right? And we're like, oh, God is love. God is merciful. God is kind. God is holy. We don't typically be like, God is wrathful, right? That's not typically the, the descriptor of who God is that, that we go to. But if God is holy, if God is loving, he must be wrathful against all sin and wickedness. Right? God, God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of, of sin. If sin remains in you and I, we cannot be in the presence of God. It will immediately undo us. I, I think about the sun, right? If, if you and I were to, to hop on Elon's spaceship, right, and, and just, you know, travel up to the sun, there, there's going to come a place not too far from now where it's not going to go well for us, right? Like, the, the purity and the heat and just the nature of what the sun is will destroy anything that is not the sun, right? Like, it's, 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 it doesn't mesh. In order to be in the presence of the actual sun, you, you must be sun, sunish? I don't know. You must be like a sun. Otherwise, we will burn up, right? Not, not tough to understand, to be in the presence of a holy God, we must be holy. Otherwise, to bring unholiness into the presence of holiness, the holiness of God will simply undo that which is unholy. It, it, it cannot coexist. So for God to be holy, he must, by his character, be set against that which is not holy. Also, for God to be loving, truly loving, he must be wrathful against anything that is unloving. If God truly loves you and me, his wrath must be set against any evil against us. I, I do not love you if I tolerate something that does harm to you. Right? I, it's not loving for me to allow something that is harmful to stay in your life. All right, if I see someone wanting to harm my kids and they're, they're coming after my kids and I'm just like, yeah, tough luck, right? That, that is not, that's not loving to my children, right? 
So for me to be loving, I have to step in and push back against that which wants to harm my kids. That, that, that is love. It's not that I, I'm evil and I don't like that. It's, I, I love my children. Therefore, I must fight against that which wants to destroy my children. You with me? If God is love, he must be wrathful against that which wants to destroy love, that wants to destroy his children. Well, what wants to destroy ch- his children? The, the devil, sin. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God must in his love be wrathful against evil and wickedness and sin. Our problem is we are covered head to toe in sin, inside and outside. We're, we're sinful. We've been sinful from the time we were born, right? Every newborn baby is not thinking, man, how can I give to my parents? They're thinking, how can I take your sanity? How can I take your sleep? How can I take your will to live, right? Like, they're maybe not thinking that, but that's kind of what's happening, you know? And so, right, because from, from a little point, right, we're, we're bent to think of our survival, our self, our well-being, Right? Every, everyone's like, yep, welcome to motherhood, you know? Like, no, it's not that bad. Except it is sometimes. Um, no, no, it's, uh, right, so from head to toe, from the outside to inside, we, we are sinful. And so if God is holy and he can't be in the presence of sin and we are sinful, and if God is loving and he is wrathful towards sin and we are sinful, God's wrath is set towards you and me if we still have sin in our lives. Because of his love, because of his holiness, if we are sinful, just like in Exodus 12, his wrath is going to come in against that sin. But just like in Exodus 12, a lamb can be broken so that we can live Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come that his body would be broken, that the wrath of God towards your sin and my sin would be poured out on Jesus. His body was broken so that ours doesn't have to be. Your sin, your sinful thoughts from last night, your sinful actions from this morning, my selfishness, my pride, my, my ego, that is what caused Jesus to be broken. But he was willing to be broken so that we could live. His broken body happened so that God's wrath could be poured out on him instead of on us. That's why Jesus says, hey, when you eat this, remember that it's me is broken in your place. And then Jesus, he, he takes a cup and he passes this cup of wine around and they drink this, this cup and he says to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He says in 1 Corinthians, this is my, my blood of the covenant. Do this, drink this in remembrance of, of me. So now why is Jesus talking about the, the blood, the blood of the covenant? What, what are we talking about here? What does Jesus mean here? Why, why are we drinking uh, of this juice? Why? 
Well, first we should ask, what's the old covenant? If this is the blood for the new covenant, what was the old? The old covenant that we see in the Old Testament is God's promise. I will be your God. You will be my people if you trust me and obey what I tell you to do. The old covenant was a, was a promise of condition. I'm your God, you're my people, if you do what I tell you to do. I'm your God, you're my people, if you trust me and obey my commands. Well, as we've already established, it's not like humanity was any better in the Old Testament. Just read, read the Old Testament. Good gracious, right? Like, yeah, they're just as sinful as you and I. So, so how does that work then? Because they're not meeting the conditions. They're not meeting the conditions of a relationship with God. So how do they get to be in relationship with God? How do they get to be God's people? Well, again, God said, for now, you can kill a lamb or a goat in, in place, in your place. For now, it, I, won't, I won't separate my relationship with you because I'll, I'll allow that to happen on a innocent, spotless animal instead. So the conditions were met because a lamb would die in place, again, of the sinful person. But God also promised that one day a new covenant would come, and that would be a covenant of grace. That covenant would be a promise to anyone I will be your God and you will be my people if you trust me. It's no longer based on if you trust and obey the conditions. It's simply based on, do you trust me? Well, how does that work? Because the spotless Lamb of God met the conditions for us and he died once and for all that his blood would be poured out so that our sins would be forgiven and we could be made righteous. And in the Old Testament, a lamb would be killed for the sins of the people. God would allow that to happen, but it was only temporary. The new covenant is that Jesus is the lamb of God and that his body would be cut for us. By his stripes, we would be healed. And by the flow of his blood, our sins would be washed clean. Our record of debt would be covered up by the blood of Jesus. So now, when Jesus looks at us, when his wrath comes up to us in our house, if we have trusted in Jesus, he sees the blood of Jesus, and his wrath passes over our lives and passes over our house, and we are declared righteous and able to have a relationship with God. Heyo, that's good. That's, we can run with that. I don't know how to work it. You're good. So the blood is a reminder that Jesus, the Lamb of God, died so that his blood would wash away our sins. So that his blood would cover us by faith and God's wrath would pass over us and we could not just be said that we're, you know, God's wrath is not on us, but we can actually be brought into relationship with God. His broken body appeases the wrath of God. His shed blood forgives us and makes us righteous. I think about someone who's committed a crime, right? Like, like you, you commit a crime and you're guilty and you go and you go to jail, you know, and you, you, you do a dime, whatever, stint. Oh, I felt really cool for a second and then I lost it. So close. 
right? You go to jail, and, and, and so you've done, you've done your time. And, and you've, you've paid the price for your sins. But, but last I knew, when you get out, even though you've done your time, you're still classified as a convicted felon, right? Your record still says felony. You have a hard time getting a job. You have a hard time in certain environments, right? So you, you've paid the price for your crime, but then you still live with some record of guilt that affects your future, The broken body pays the price for our crimes and the shed blood completely washes clean our record so that we're no longer just paid the price, but now we can live in freedom because of what Jesus has done. The Passover lamb saves us from the wrath of God. The unleavened bread sends us forward in a new life. And it's this feast that reminds us of what God has done to live new in his presence. And it's all done by the death of Jesus. And the last thing Jesus says, he says, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's a statement of promise. That Jesus is coming back again. In the Old Testament Passover, they would have four cups of wine. The the third cup is the one that Jesus passed to his friend. The fourth one he didn't drink because he said, the next time I drink that cup of wine is when I've returned and I've brought the new kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth, and we feast and we drink for eternity without sin. Jesus is promising that he will come back and he will put everything back together again. And so the Lord's Supper is a time to remember what he has done, but to also look forward to the fact that he's coming back to make everything right. But, but here's the great thing about that promise one day when Jesus returns. If we're going to take Jesus at his word and trust that promise one day when he returns, that means he's got to keep his promises from today until he returns. Otherwise, we can no longer even trust that promise. Otherwise, he's no longer faithful for that one. And so when Jesus, in this moment, promises the last day, the new kingdom and the new earth, he's also making and keeping every promise from that day until the day he returns. That means the new kingdom for us, yes, one day will come in a new heaven and a new earth, but today, the promises of Jesus are for us and they're active and they're real. Every single promise that God has made to us in the scripture finds its yes in Jesus. Every single one. God, are you with me? Yes, see Jesus. God, do you love me? Yes, see Jesus. God, will you be with me? Yes, see Jesus. God, will you forgive my sins, even the sins that I don't even want to think about again, but I know deep in my soul are there? Will you forgive those? Yes, see Jesus. God, will you restore me to new life, to a new fellowship with you and with others? Yes, see Jesus. Every single promise of God finds its yes in Jesus, and it's this promise here that tells us we can trust it. Because if we can trust the promise at the end, we can trust every promise in between. That is good news for us today. June 4th, 2022. Fifth, thank you. 
I think so often we just feel so distant from this. It either happened then and there, or one day it will be there and then, but we don't think it matters to here and now. Here's the thing. Either it matters here and now, or there's no point in even looking for there and then. Either the promises of God are true today for you and for me, or we don't even need to look to that promise. But the promise of Jesus, the fact that he was crushed and broken in our place and rose from the dead, I don't want to get too far ahead, that's coming up, right? But the fact that he rose from the dead and is alive today tells us that we can trust his promise, the one for when he's coming back and the one for today. And so that's why we come to the Lord's table, is to remember what Jesus has done for us and to look forward to the promises that he has for us today and forever. And so as we conclude and we, we shift to a time where we're going to come and eat and drink, a couple practical things that we see in Scripture for us. One is that the Lord's Supper in the Bible is always communal. It, it's always done in a corporate setting among the family of God. And so we take the Lord's Supper, we, we do that together. We, we do it with our church family. It's one of the reasons that we, we didn't take the Lord's Supper when we're doing virtual services. We just had a hard time in the fact that we were on our own. But this is a communal table where the family of God sits with the Son of God and eats together. Another thing we see is that it's to be done often. The Bible doesn't tell us how often. Do you do it every week? Do you do it every day? Do you do it every other week? Once a month? Once a year? What? It, doesn't, it doesn't give us that specificity. But in Acts 2, you see that when they gathered, they, they, they were eating as often as they could. They were breaking bread together as often as they could. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 again, right? When you, when you do this, do this often. Do it in remembrance of me. And so one of the questions I ask is, why wouldn't we do this every Sunday? I'm not sold one way or the other. We don't have to do this every Sunday, but why wouldn't we? Right? One of the things I hear is, well, it could, it could lose some of its power. It could lose some of its, you know, the, the specialness. But we read from the same Bible. We sing some of the same songs. We gather with the same people. We do the same tithe. Like, we do all these other things, but, but then we don't do this regularly. It's like, why not? I got sins to confess and be grateful that Jesus paid for it every day, much less every week. Why wouldn't I come and remember what Christ has done to forgive my sins and confess them and walk forward in freedom? So I'm not, I'm not sold one way or the other, but we do know scripturally it happened often. And so for us right now, we, we set out and we're like, well, we're going to do it often. And then it just, we're like, well, I guess we'll do it every week until God seems to tell us otherwise. Another thing we see in 1 Corinthians 11 is that the Lord's Supper is for followers of Jesus who are repentant of their sins. In Exodus 12 and in 1 Corinthians 11, the, the, the table is an invitation for any who's trusted in Jesus. For any who has trusted the word of God and has taken the blood of the lamb over their life. And you see that in Exodus 12, the distinction those who didn't trust in God and the blood of the Lamb didn't cover them, didn't eat the Passover meal. But everyone's invited to come and to trust God. 
And so if you haven't trusted Christ, then I would encourage you not to take of the Lord's Supper. I would invite you to trust Jesus. That invitation is for all time for all people. That his broken body and his shed blood can be for your forgiveness of sins and your being made righteous in the presence of God. It's not just for those who have it cleaned up and are, or have it all together. When you look at this first supper, the ones that Jesus sat around a table with, right, the, like his, the cream of the crop, every single one of them within the next chapter are going to bail on him. Every single one. So it's like, okay, cool. There's room for me then. If Jesus invites these knuckleheads, so we don't have to clean ourselves up. We just, have to, we just have to recognize our need for grace. That's the only requirement for the table is to recognize my neediness. I can't do this, but Jesus did. I recognize it. And so if you've trusted Christ, the invitation is to come and eat and drink. If you haven't trusted Christ, the invitation is to trust him. Don't wait. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says that when we eat and drink, we want to do it with a pure heart. There's, there's those in 1 Corinthians in the church in Corinth who are becoming sick and even dying because Paul says they're taking the Lord's Supper in an unpure manner. I, I, look, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know what that means. I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, oh, hey, if you do this unpurely, it's not going to go well for you this week. Um, I, I don't know, but that's what Paul says. The emphasis is that if we've trusted in Jesus, if we have said, yes, Jesus, praise you that your body was broken and your blood was shed for the goodness of sins, that for me to come and to hold the broken body of Jesus in one hand and to hold on to my sin in the other is an insult to the cross of Christ. And if we're unwilling to let go of our sin, we've got to also ask if we've actually trusted Jesus. And so the invitation is to come and to eat and drink and live in freedom, but we don't live in freedom unless we confess our sins and leave them at the cross of Christ. And so we come to a wide open invitation from Jesus to eat and to drink in freedom, confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, turning and leaving them. And we're gonna have the Lord's Supper again next week because I'll lead the way. I'm going to sin again this week. And I need to confess, not because I haven't been forgiven, but I just need to remove that sin from my life and to walk forward in freedom again and to unchain myself to the sins that I picked back up again and walk forward in freedom. So that's the invitation. This is not to be taken casually. This is not just some cracker or some cup of juice this is a reminder that our Savior was broken and beaten because of my sins. You all can be perfectly righteous for all I know. I'm a sinner, and I am the cause for his death. But I also want to live in freedom and celebration because he invites me to leave my sins behind. Same invitation is for you. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.